Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tong. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation and I'm your host, Peter Tong. Thank you for joining us today. The intention in these episodes is to give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And I'm delighted to welcome back to the show today Walter Cruttenden, who was on uh, sometime last year, I can't remember exactly when, and we are right in the midst of a really, really significant time, obviously, during the cycles of time, and Walter will give us uh, his insights into those cycles and also talk a little bit about the upcoming CPAC conference in early October. So, Walter, welcome back to the show. Hey, Peter. Great to be on. It's great to have you back. So why don't we do a little a little review for our listeners about uh, your work and your interest, and particularly around the cycles of time. Surely, yes. Uh, so I've been involved in this work for about a dozen years or so, and uh, really I was interested when I was a little boy. I had read a lot of history books about great ancient civilizations, and uh, heard about this concept, which Plato called the Great Year, this cycle of time that there was a higher age long, long ago. And indeed, there seemed to be a lot of advanced civilizations prior to the last Dark Age. And yet, when I got into school, you know, they pretty much uh, just quickly went over that and said that uh, everything is pretty linear and that anything that came before us must be more primitive. And so it didn't ring true, especially uh, in more recent decades when they've been making all these findings of things like the Babylon battery and the Antikythera device and, you know, great uh, structures from, from uh, you know, pre-Dark Age cultures. And so I decided that, you know, when I sold my uh, technology business that I would just uh, dive full-time into this, and that's when we formed the Binary Research Institute and our particular focus is um, what drives the cycle, and uh, that is where I think we've made uh, a helpful contribution. Great. Well, tell us about that. What is what is driving it? Well, it's the same thing uh, that drives the big cycle uh, drives the small cycles, and that's celestial motion. And so, just as the Earth spins on its axis and causes uh, this cycle of day and night and actually changes our consciousness to go from a waking state where we are now to a subconscious or sleep state, uh, you know, in the middle of the night because our bodies have adapted to the electromagnetic spectrum of the sun. And just as the cycle of the seasons is driven by the Earth's revolution around the sun, uh, you know, and it changes everything, you know, billions or trillions of things spring out of the ground, bloom, give their fruit, and then decay again. And Billions of other plants or animals will uh, spawn, migrate in mass, or you know, come out of hibernation or go back in, and it's all because of this celestial cycle. And so, if there is an even larger celestial cycle, you would expect it to sort of have similar effects, but on an even larger time scale. And so, because this great year, uh, this is uh, exactly in sync with something called the procession of the equinox. Uh, we believe that what is called the procession of the equinox is, is, is mostly the motion of the solar system around another star 
and only incidentally uh, what's given as the common causes today, the you know, the sun and the moon tugging on the oblate earth. That that does have some effect, but I think we're missing the, an even larger effect that the solar system is in motion. So there's there's two different pieces to this then, is what the actual precession is. I mean, whatever causes that, the great year is happening anyway. So, so let's begin by talking a little bit about the great year, which obviously is over a very extended period of time. And so the daily cycle and the yearly cycle we're very aware of. But the great year obviously is over a much bigger time period, and therefore we only see this little snippet. Exactly, yeah. You know, I wrote in uh, my recent book, uh, this children's book, uh, The Great Year Adventures with Tommy the Time-Traveling Turtle, uh, that we're kind of like the mayfly. You know, that's a fly that lives just for one day. And so if it happens to uh, be born on a day that's, you know, overcast and uh, and windless, it, it knows nothing about there being a sun or uh, nothing about riding a breeze. You know, it has this very myopic view of of life. And our lifetime is indeed almost exactly proportional uh, uh, to one day in a year when you compare our lifetime to the length of the great year, which is roughly 24, 26,000 years. You know, the, there are slightly different measurements depending on who you're talking to. What is the sense, then, of, of how the great year impacts human consciousness? Well, uh, you know, we're, we're sort of just beginning the modern science on this, but uh, ancient cultures uh, wrote about it extensively. You know, I, last guess is there's something like over 30 ancient cultures made reference to this great year, which Plato called that was his term. It's the one that sort of caught on the most. But in the Indian culture, we call it the Yuga cycle, and um, you know the Maya seem to call it different uh, suns, the Hopi different worlds. Uh, some of them just referred to you know high ages and low ages. Uh, but it's it's very common out there that these uh, old myths refer to a point in the great year when mankind is. Uh, sort of at a zenith of consciousness. You know, Hesiod referred to this as the halcyon days, the the golden age when the earth gives of itself uh, its fruit and plenty very freely. And, uh, you know, dying is like going to sleep, and people live to be very long ages. I mean, you, you see this in all sorts of scriptures and the Bible and things like this. And then uh, the opposite point of that, you know, is is the fairly recent dark age that we just went through, uh, you know, probably bottomed out 1,500 to 1,000 years ago, uh, when things are just the opposite of uh, peace and plenty. You know, every nation on the planet is at war with each other. Uh, there's no democracy, justice. Uh, lifespans are half of what they even are now, and there's plagues, and, you know, things are pretty bad. So, uh, but, uh, so this is the sort of the main characteristics of this cycle, uh, and I think that's just looking from our present point of view, but if you dig into the mythology uh, even deeper, uh, boy, it's they refer to it as, you know, the time of the gods or the demigods, and it's, it's an almost unimaginable time on the planet Earth. So how long does, does each of these uh, aspects of, of the Great Year Cycle last, each, each piece of it? 
Well, the procession uh, cycle right now uh, is measured, you know, as mentioned, between 24 to 26,000 years. Uh, and uh, unlike the seasons of the year, which are broken into, you know, fairly uh, even 90-plus day uh, segments, and, you know, that's just something we arbitrarily do with our calendar, uh, the the great year, the Indians broke it into uh, a sort of a four three two one ratio. So they would say the the darkest age is uh, the shortest period of time, and the golden age is the longest period of time. And so let me just begin by breaking it into two halves. So if it's twenty four thousand years, there's twelve thousand years ascending when we're coming up from the dark ages and things are getting better and better and better. And then there's 12,000 years descending where civilizations are slowly but surely collapsing and, you know, mankind seems to be losing uh, these higher awarenesses. And then within each of those uh, 12,000-year periods, uh, it's roughly 1,200 years is, uh, let me use the Greek terms because I think people are most familiar with that, 1,200 years for the Iron Age, 2,400 years for the Bronze Age, 3,600 years for the... Uh, Silver Age, and then 4,800 years for the Golden Age. And then, of course, you go back in like manner. And and what is so interesting to me, Peter, is that uh, even though this general knowledge of a great year is lost or just considered to be mythology nowadays, it's still the basis of our present system of time. Our our present time scale is almost a perfect microcosm of this. We have 24 hours instead of 24,000 years, and we have 12 hours of a.m. where we're going from, you know, the darkest point to the lightest point where the sun's at its zenith, and then we have 12 hours of uh, p.m. where we're going from the zenith, you know, to the to the darkest point. And, and so it's, it's almost a perfect microcosm of the uh, great year we've been carrying around on our wristwatches and clocks all this time. <laughs> Interesting. So you were suggesting then that we, from what you said about 1,500 years ago, then then we're actually just coming out of a dark age now into what would be called a Bronze Age. Very much so, yes. Uh, and, you know, there's different authors uh, will interpret this slightly differently and skew it a few hundred years this way or that way, but the, uh, the most informed author I've read on the subject is uh, Swami Sri Yukteswar, and he was uh, an Indian sage of, of great renown, you know, the, the guru of Paramahansa Yogananda. Uh, very practical, scientific-minded man. And he wrote this book in 1894 uh, called The Holy Science. And he pegged the, uh, the, the low point when our sun is farthest from its uh, companion star at 499 A.D., so he was pretty specific about that. Wow. And, um, he, and then supposedly we've been coming up from that period of time. And, and indeed, if you look at the history books, um, by 499 A.D., virtually all the great civilizations had collapsed. You know, Sumer, Akkad, Babylon, Mohenjo-Daro, Harappa, the whole Indus Valley, um, even the uh, Western civilizations like the Maya were, were in the Olmec, you know, the Olmec had disappeared, but uh, Maya were getting more and more brutal, just as, just as the, uh, 
the European civilizations were. I mean, the Romans were turning to uh, crucifixions in the street, you know, as Rome was coming apart. And it wasn't much better here uh, in the Mayan temples, you know. So, Walter, we're actually coming up to our first break. So we'll take our break and we'll return to this moment on our our return. It's Peter Tongue for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenterJourney.com for more information. Every life on Earth has the capability of knowing the world in a much more powerful way than what we've settled for. And Gaiam TV is there to support your journey in knowledge, awareness, and awakening. Our vision is to raise global consciousness by bringing viewers original interviews, inspiring films, and engaging series on today's most sought-after topics. We invite you to try Gaiam TV free for 10 days. Visit www.gaiamtv.com to claim your free trial. You won't look at your life and your world the same way again. That's G-A-I-A-M-T-V.com. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. So reminded to go to my website, www.petertung.com where my August newsletter will be with lots of great information from the events that took place in August and also www.myheartcenteredjourney.com and our Ambassadors of Light program. I with me today Walter Cruttenden who returns to the show to talk about the great year cycle and some of his insights around these great periods of time uh, that the ancients seem to understand better than we do right now, Walter. So we were talking uh, just before the break about the, the bottom of, bottoming out of the Dark Ages at about 500 AD. And obvious question for me is, where does King Arthur fit into all of this? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, he's uh, obviously considered a mythical character, but uh, a very instructive one. So at the bottom of the cycle, you know, it's uh, it's sort of marked by, you know, the burning of the uh, Alexandria Library and uh, the shuttering of Plato's Academy in Rome and then, Everything seems to be just almost chaos for the next 500 or 1,000 years until we come to the Renaissance, and Renaissance means rebirth. So I'm not sure exactly where uh, 
King Arthur falls into this thing, but it's it's a very instructive story, and I actually used a little metaphor of it uh, in in this book, Tommy the Time Traveling Turtle, uh, and and that is that people often say, you know, Walter, isn't this idea of a big cycle sort of fatalistic? I mean, can can we have a uh, you know a high consciousness in such a low age? And you know, the answer is that it, it's not fatalistic uh, that we can sort of buck the tide, and we do all the time. You know, it, even during the nighttime doesn't mean we have to stumble around in the dark. We we invent flashlights and and all sorts of technology to uh, sort of lift ourselves up. Or in the depths of winter, we don't have to freeze. You know, we invent all sorts of ways to to stay warm and still be productive and still grow foods. And likewise, that's the lesson here, uh, that we can have a, a high consciousness, a golden age consciousness now, if we sort of listen to what these these enlightened people that came along throughout the ages uh, listen to their message and and embody it a little bit. And and so I think of King Arthur as one of these. You know, he's a he's a character that lives a very virtuous life. Um, he has this group of uh, very disciplined people around them, and they're, uh, you know, trying to build a very constructive kingdom and, you know, fighting evil to protect good, if you will. And if we will all, you know, take that battle to, to heart in our own self, then I, I think it's just sort of a little cue that no matter what the times, uh, we can lift ourselves to a higher state of consciousness. So on that note of time, um, obviously there's been a huge focus on uh, December 21st, 2012. So as we're moving out of the Dark Age and into the Bronze Age, um, what's your understanding of the significance of that date? Well, you know, so having just said that the individual can, can buck the trend, the trend is still there, and it's, <laughs> it's like a tide. You know, you've heard the saying that uh, uh, the tide will lift all boats, and... Uh, and so it is much easier to uh, to awaken when a lot of other people are awakening. And so I don't know the exact meaning of you know what the the Mayans had in mind when they ended uh, their calendar at, at the winter solstice in 2012. Uh, you know, obviously they were very good astronomers and paid attention to the sky, and so it seemed like a uh, an obvious marking point for them. Uh, John Jenkins pointed this out that you know that's when the on the winter solstice date the sun is in rough alignment with the galactic center, uh, and they had some mythology about this dark rift where the galactic center is located long before we even discovered where it was with modern radio telescopes. Uh, but so I think it serves as sort of a a marking point of a time when you're enough out of the dark ages ages you're enough into the renaissance that uh that there's sort of a, a greater awakening and that's happening on the planet and and personally I, that's kind of what i see right now peter and i mean you're you're a very clear representative of this i mean you this is your your work to point out what's happening and and i embrace it because uh there is a lot of good stuff happening right now and you know, we miss it if we just read the mainstream media, but I think the world is, is really going through quite an awakening at this period of time.
Yeah, there's a from my perspective and understanding, there's there's a real explosion taking place, which is great. Yeah, in all fields too. I mean, yeah, uh, you know, it's very broad, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, and so you kind of wonder. It's 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 almost like a akin to a singularity event. Is there just going to be some uh, thing where we just have to change everything at once? You know, textbooks, banking systems, uh, religions, things like that, and and because it all seems to be going on under the surface. So earlier on, you, when you mentioned about the daily cycle, the rotation of the Earth, around, and then the, the rotation around the Sun, and so you, you mentioned uh, the, in this great year cycle, the, the, there's obviously an influence on consciousness, and, and you mentioned a companion star. So what, what is the consciousness influence over this 24,000-year period? There's uh, a lot of people looking into that. Uh, many of these speakers that we have at our conference on procession and ancient knowledge, this uh, big event I think you mentioned in the opening that's coming up October 5th to 7th in Rancho Mirage, it, that address this exact subject. And I'm, I must say that some of them know it a lot better than me, so I'll just kind of give you a, the, the cursory hypothesis. And, and that is that just as our bodies, our consciousness seems to be uh, affected by the electromagnetic spectrum of the sun, you know, the light, uh, and that's when crops grow, that's when we seem to perform better than we do in the dark or when we're tired, and uh, everything seems to work a little bit better. Uh, so could it be that as our sun goes through this uh, this motion curving through space that it gets to a point where it ha- receives some more positive cosmic influence. And I, I, I don't think it's anything you throw on and off like a switch any more than, uh, you know, the first day of spring has to always be warmer than the last day of summer. I think it's a, it's a gradual transition like that. But as we move, uh, closer to a certain point and, Ryukteswar called this point Vishnunabi or the Grand Magnetic Center, and other people have other names for it. But it appears that this uh, motion of the solar system actually is just the mechanism that drives us closer to or farther from this uh, this third point, just as the spinning Earth is just the mechanism to draw us closer to or away from the light of the sun. So this this uh, magnetic center, what what is that exactly? Oh boy, you know there's so a lot of this myth and folklore talks about the cycle and the higher times and you know this beautiful mythology, but uh, there's almost nothing written on the the mechanism, uh, and so uh, probably the. Uh, the best thing I've seen is the writings of, say, the physicist John Daring, who who will be coming to CPAC this year, and uh, he's been a regular speaker there. Uh, he compares it. He's got this beautiful little presentation where um, there's a car on a on a racetrack, and it's a it's an oval track, and it's trying to get radio reception. The driver is trying to get good reception, and there's a a uh, radio tower at one end of this giant track that's, you know, miles and miles long, and there's all sorts of uh, peaks and valleys and things in between. 
so at certain points, this uh, car gets very good reception, particularly as it gets close to the radio tower. And at other points, it gets very poor, no reception at all. And so I think that's one of the, the clearer analogies of, of how this process might work, but I'm the first to admit that it's all speculation at this time. Right. And what about the companion star you mentioned as well? There's basically two schools of thought on it, um, um, and there is a lot more work being done in this area now. And those two schools are, one, it's either a, a dark star, like a brown dwarf or, or uh, you know, some planet-like mass that's very difficult to see. And even if it's a brown dwarf, you know, our instruments are so good now, you'd think we would have seen it, so it would be towards have to be towards the galactic center or something where there's a lot of noise. Um, and so, uh, but there's people looking for something like that. You know, the brightest scientists, uh, astrophysicists out there right now is probably uh, Mike Brown at Caltech. He's the guy with who's credited with killing Pluto because he's discovered so many uh, planets about Pluto's size even farther out. And uh, so he's determined that uh, the orbit of Sedna, one of these Pluto-like planets that's way out there, that has such an unusual orbit uh, that it just can't be without another mass that perturbs it into that uh, shape. And so he and his team are looking for something uh, along those lines. And there's other groups doing the same. And then the other school of thought, Peter, would be... Uh, that it might actually be a, a visible star, a, a close one, you know, and there's there's a dozen or so within about 10 light years. Any, anything beyond that, our solar system would have to be going so fast that it would be unrealistic. And the, the most common uh, candidate there is the star Sirius uh, because it actually seems to uh, track the sun according to a lot of old observations and... Uh, and even new work like the, the Homans out of Canada has found that Syria does not seem to process like other stars. And so uh, more and more people are looking into that possibility, too. So, Walter, we're coming up to our, our second break, so we'll take the break now. We'll return with Sirius after we've taken this break. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you, to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. In these changing times, the journey toward global consciousness has never been more important. Gaia TV is the first online video library dedicated to support your journey toward global and personal discovery. Our viewers enjoy unlimited access to our vast selection of inspiring interviews, engaging films, and award-winning wellness videos. And we invite you to try it for free. 
visit www.gaiamtv.com to start your free trial. The journey starts now. That's G-A-I-A-M TV.com. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. Just a reminder to check out our sponsors for this series of shows, GaiamTV.com, G-A-I-A-M-T-V.com, Opening Your Mind, Awakening Your Spirit, Original Interviews with Great Visionaries, the world's first online video library devoted to supporting your awakening journey. And there is a free 10-day trial available. You simply have to click on the banner on my host page, take the 10-day free trial and see uh, if you feel a strong connection to www.guyamtv.com. I have with me today Walter Cruttenden, and we're ta- talking about the Great Year cycle. And we just before the break, Walter started just beginning to touch on the potential involvement as uh, with Sirius as a potential companion star to our sun. And obviously, ancient civilizations have had Sirius as a very central, important star in their uh, belief system. So let's talk a bit about Sirius and, uh, and different belief systems around it. Yes. Um, it's Obviously, it's the brightest star in the sky. So if we knew nothing about uh, uh, stellar distances, uh, you know, it would be a great uh, candidate to be a companion star. And it's actually a star that you can see during the daytime, but you have to know exactly where to look. So... Um, it's a very unusual uh, star, and it's unusual, too, from a mythological standpoint. There's a lot of uh, cultures that make a reference to it, uh, including the Shinto out of Japan, uh, probably the oldest known religion there. Uh, they uh, orient their temples uh, towards uh, Sirius, and they actually call it, quote, our second son, unquote. Um, and there's a member of parliament in Japan now that's uh, that's just written a book on that topic. Um, but you can go to other cultures too, uh, and pr- one of the the most uh, prevalent is the ancient Egyptian culture, and they didn't use the term Sirius, of course. Uh, uh, they called the star uh, Isis, but um, you know we talk about this star being associated with the cycle of the sort of brings life and then takes it away. And and that's exactly how the ancient uh, Egyptians thought of of Isis, the star Sirius. They said that she would uh, bring life and then take it away. And uh, she's often seen in, in poses in these, in these beautiful icons you see in tombs and things uh, where she's in a relationship with uh, an aspect of the sun, Horus. And sometimes uh, 
She's nurturing Horace as a child. It's sort of a Madonna image. Um, or she's uh, Horace is older, and she seems to be somehow controlling him. She has his hands on him. And so, to me, you know, looking at it from an astronomical standpoint, it's just so curious why they why they talked about uh, you know Isis Sirius in this respect and why it had this relationship with the sun because it would be exactly what you'd expect from an astronomical influence point of view. So, so putting you on the spot a little bit, Walter, what is your own view of things without pinning you to any scientific data? What, what's your uh, intuition telling you about this? I, I do lean towards uh, Sirius. Uh, I originally started off thinking... Uh, it, it couldn't be because you know it's such a bright star, and so much is known about it that uh, that we would have figured that out by now. Uh, but then, as I really, really studied uh, astronomy, um, and you know, I my whole business was uh, using technology to study complex um, fields. You know, usually in the technology area, but um, applying it there, I. I realized that it could be that if our solar system is going fast enough that we would go around the center of mass with Syria in in a procession cycle. And um, uh, so, yes, I do lean towards it, not just because it's it's technically feasible, and there's an astrophysicist out of uh, Australia, uh, Reg Cahill, who does does say we're going fast enough, although he measures relative to the cosmic microwave background, and there might be some methodology issues, but um, but also because of uh, the findings of a group out of Canada, um, Carl Heinz and, and Uwe Homan. It's a father-son team. They've had a fixed transit telescope on Sirius for roughly 20 years, taking these transit readings, and they find uh, virtually... Uh, no evidence that uh, Sirius uh, processes uh, like other stars do, and um, and this is this is weird because there's a lot of you know folklore too about this. You know, very old observations of Sirius that it would kind of follow the sun. The ancient Egyptians even said this, and some of the Renaissance astronomers uh, noticed this. And but it was always thought to be uh, when I talked to modern astronomers, they said, "Oh, that's just a characteristic of the the landscape in Egypt when you watch it there." Uh, but for these Canadians to find the same thing out of Canada uh, leads me to believe that no, it's it's not just a landscape issue or an observational issue. It's it's something really different is happening with this star relative to other stars. I'd love you to give us the simplest explanation that you can about what precession actually is, because people use that word precession of the equinoxes all the time, uh, and I'm not sure anybody really understands what they're saying. So can you give us um, an an image or a visual? And it's further obfuscated because uh, the term precession often is used to refer to the cause of precession versus what precession originally meant. But... Think of it this way: If we watch a procession, a uh, you know a bunch of band members walking down the, the street in a procession or something, they're going one way. And when we see the stars rise, uh, both on a daily basis and a yearly basis, uh, they go one way. You know, 
rising in the east, setting in, in the west, sort of things like that's the observation. But if you looked only on the equinox or solstice or just pick a single day in the year, you would notice that the stars are slowly going in the opposite direction. They're precessing rather than processing across the sky, if you will. And so Copernicus noticed this, and and uh, uh, he called it libration, and um, it was Newton that uh, tried to explain you know, come up with a formula to explain it, although his formulas ended up not working. But uh, it's basically just that we see the sun moving across the sky at the rate of about 50 arc seconds per year. I'm, I'm rounding, but at that exact rate, it would take 25,920 years. And the reason, the, the way we explain that, remember Copernicus had just established that the sun's the center of the universe, so he couldn't say the sun's moving. So he said the earth must wobble. And so that is the the given answer today, why the sun appears to go from, you know, if you looked at it just on the vernal equinox, you'd say it went from Aries, it's now in Pisces, and it's very soon at the dawning of the age of Aquarius. You know, it takes about 2,000 years to go through a constellation. The sun moves through the sky. Um, and... And so people then argue, um, is that due to the earth wobbling or is that due to the sun actually moving, the whole solar system moving? And um, if the sun's doing that, it means the stars are, you know, if you look at it from a stellar point of view, the stars are going the opposite direction. So I hope that is an understandable explanation, but that's that's the observable of precession. Thank you. And so this... It's quite fascinating, isn't it, how this very advanced science uh, in astronomy and quantum physics and so on is marrying itself together with all the ancient mythologies as we move forward at this time. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an area that needs a lot more study, and, you know, theories do change over time, and uh, we've been doing a lot of work on, on precession, the math, the predictability, and uh, we find that if you use a Moving solar system model, uh, use three of Wars data plus Kepler's uh, laws, you can predict the changing rate of precession about 40 times more accurately than you can using the, uh, if you will, the old loony solar uh, dynamics of precession. And so, yeah, we think that'll be uh, well known within a decade or two, but, you know, science takes time to change. <laughs> So let's uh, lighten up a little bit and let's talk about uh, Tommy the Time Traveling Turtle. Ah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I've written a few technical books on this and we did the film The Great Year with uh, James Earl Jones, a documentary. Uh, but uh, the people that seem to be the most open minded and just bright eyed about this whole topic are uh, our kids. And uh, I, I teach at a summer camp every year. And they kept asking me about it, so I, I did a children's book. It's called The Great Year Adventures with Tommy the Time Traveling Turtle. And basically, Tommy comes from the future. He sees that, you know, here it is, the late 20th, early 21st century, and everybody's freaked out. They're all worried about the future. You know, they think the Earth's going to run out of resources and uh, that mankind is going to destroy himself. And so he basically comes to tell us that, Hey, it's not that bad. You know, you're just transitioning from the 
the dark age to a higher age, and he explains the various cycles, the three that we talked about, and uh, how it works. And he takes us in his spaceship, uh, not only through space to show us the binary orbit, but through time to show us the different uh, yugas and what life is like during each one. And, and it's it's fun. We had a, a ball doing it. I had a really great illustrator, Skywalker, um, and um, so it's, it's kind of a cute book, and it's available on Amazon. And what sort of age group of kids is it suitable for? I would say 8 to 88, and, <laughs> and uh, I really uh, mean it when I say older people will like it as much as younger people, because I have so many people that come up and say, you know, I've always been interested in your work, but didn't quite understand it till I read the children's book. <laughs> The children's version is makes it all make sense. Yeah. Walter, we're coming up to our final break, so we'll take the break now and we'll come back and we'll finish finish off talking about Tommy and also uh, the CPAC conference coming up shortly. Sounds it's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. The 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. In these changing times, the journey toward global consciousness has never been more important. Gaia TV is the first online video library dedicated to support your journey toward global and personal discovery. Our viewers enjoy unlimited access to our vast selection of inspiring interviews, engaging films, and award-winning wellness videos. And we invite you to try it for free. Visit www.gaiamtv.com to start your free trial. The journey starts now. That's G-A-I-A-M-TV.com. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. I'm with me today, Walter Cruttenden. And just before the break, we were chatting about his latest children's book called Tommy the Time-Traveling Turtle. And uh, the final comment we made was it's suitable for age 8 to 88. What sort of reaction have you had from kids to the book, Walter? Uh, kids have been great. I mean, they absorb it like a sponge, and uh, the questions almost always immediately go to, uh, 
you know, what was it like during the higher ages? And that's, you know, that's difficult to, uh, for me to get my head around. It's, it's, it's almost like, you know, the old saying, the cup cannot hold the ocean. Until we grow and evolve ourselves, I think we have a difficult under- time understanding a, a culture that lives in perfect attunement with nature, you know, telepathy and clairvoyant or common knowledge, all these things that are uh, mentioned in the mythology. So, uh, But the kids love to talk about that, that's for sure. Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, it opens them up to all the potentialities for themselves in the future, doesn't it? It does, and that's that's so important because, um, you know, we're we're evolving quickly, but we're still living under a lot of old paradigms, you know, uh, be it religion or banking or, you know, organizational structures that, you know, because they take a while to change. They were formed hundreds of years ago, or and uh, it's like we're growing faster than our organizations are growing, and so, yeah, kids, they want new ways of looking at things that are sort of freer and, and grander, if you will. They need new schools, too. <laughs> yep. And isn't it great to see so many entrepreneurs are breaking the mold there now and, you know, yeah. offering online classes and really advanced stuff. Absolutely, yeah. So if people want to get hold of the book and, and buy it for their kids, uh, how, do, how do they make contact? How do they get the book? Yeah, Amazon's the easiest way. Just um, just. Google uh, The Great Year Adventures. Uh, you can put with Tommy the Time Traveling Turtle if you wish, and uh, one way or another that will get you to Amazon. Great, thank you. So let's chat a bit about uh, CPAC, the conference uh, coming up in early October. Just tell us uh, some of the people who are going to be there and what, what are the focuses going to be. Gladly. And if I may, I'd like to just mention sort of why we do CPAC. Uh, and it's, it's basically um, when I first started on this work, uh, there were very few others that were uh, involved in, you know, looking seriously at what, was there a higher age? If so, what drives the ages? What was life like, you know, from an archaeological standpoint, anthropological standpoint, etc. And so I was hungry to, to find other researchers that were doing, you know, serious work in the field. And so it was... Uh, about eight years ago, we just got a couple of us together up in uh, Vancouver, Canada, to uh, meet between ourselves to talk about procession mechanics and you know ancient sites and things and their alignments and and then we realized you know we should open this to the public and uh, so we did and and nowadays there's about uh, 300 people a year coming to this conference and so we'll have uh, roughly a dozen speakers. Uh, that look at this idea of a great year from all these different angles. And whereas you might not believe it if, you know, you're just reading my work or or one other, two other people, but when you hear all these people making discoveries from different points of view, people just leave this uh, conference with, uh, you know, a paradigm change. They They see history like it's never been taught before and, and so, yeah, to get into some of the people, uh, one of my favorites has, you know, been one of your guests, Dr. Robert Schock. He's this famed geologist, famed for sort of redating the Sphinx, uh, you know, realizing that the erosion of the limestone uh, suggested that it would be much older uh, than 
than just the first dynasty in Egypt that we date to, you know, 43, 4,400 years old. And so uh, he was ostracized for years. And I actually saw him at the geology meeting in Reno, I think, 10 years ago, give this paper. And uh, geologists agreed with him, but archaeologists never bothered to rewrite any of the textbooks or anything. And so since that time, of course, uh, as you know, he's uh, they found Gobekli Tepe, Turkey, that everyone agrees now, even the archaeologists, that this site is at least ten to 12,000 years old, and they were building uh, structures, at, you know, roughly as complicated as a sphinx. And so uh, finally Robert is getting some, uh, you know, justification there that, Indeed, he could be right, and and so this whole idea of there being a a higher age, uh, he's leading the charge from a geological standpoint. Yeah, he was on the show a few weeks ago. He he came across as just a a wonderful guy, but obviously his research, too, has just been very thorough and very detailed. Highly credible, yeah, and that's one thing we really have to watch out for in this field because there's a few people that say, you know, the, the... the pyramids were built, you know, gazillion years ago by aliens or something. And so we have to kind of try to separate the wheat from the chaff, if you will. But uh, on that note, there's a, a fellow, uh, Jason Martell, uh, speaking. He's an author, researcher, and a star right now on ancient aliens. And uh, he's uh, sort of come to this point in his life where He's wondering if it really was aliens or was it us, and that's the name of his talk, was it aliens or was it us, Um, because he's studied a lot about the cycle and he's finding very compelling evidence that, uh, yes, the universe may be populated with lots of life forms, Uh, nobody doubts that, and some of them may visit Earth from time to time, Uh, certainly that possibility exists. But that doesn't mean that they uh, built a lot of these pre-dark structures or invented some of these devices they've been uncovering. And so uh, it'll be neat to hear his point of view sort of weigh the two schools of thought there. And then yeah. I'll be talking about the the mythology. I've really been doing some new research into uh, uh, you know myths like uh, Jason and the Argonauts and Hercules and the Twelve Labors and things like this and how these are really uh, hinting at, you know, golden age uh, myths. And um, I, I really enjoy this particular talk. So, uh, well, Chris it's, Dunn, it's, 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 the, That's interesting, Walt, because that yeah. ties in actually with our landscape zodiac work because the 12 labors of Hercules and Jason the Argonauts, is, that mythology is very much tied in with the landscape zodiac work that we're doing on a monthly basis. And, tuning into the different elements of that of those uh, stories it's great isn't it yes it is you know i when i was at uh, megalithomania uh, a couple years ago i heard someone speak on these landscape zodiacs and at first it just seemed too much to even believe and then as i i started looking at this and it really starts to break your mind out of a linear mold you know that there's some kind of synchronicity happening, and uh, yeah, there's really something to that. And so, uh, it and you're right, it does go with a lot of this old mythology. And so, uh, I'll look at the mythology half of that. That's great. So we're actually almost near the end of the show here, Walter. So just give us uh, the information about the conference and also your own uh, website. Okay. Yeah. The uh, 
conference on procession and ancient knowledge. Uh, you can find it at uh, www.cpaconline.com. That's C-P-A-K online.com. And it's uh, in Rancho Mirage, you know, beautiful place in the desert. We'll be taking some hikes to uh, some cool places where the San Andreas Fault lifts up the underground water and causes these palm forests. And, uh, you know, just having a lot of fun while we're out there. So I invite uh, your listeners to come join us. That's in Palm Springs, right? Yeah, it's just outside of Palm Springs. And actually, the, one of the sites we're visiting is uh, is the origin of the Palm Springs. You know, it's here you are just walking through the desert, through these hills, and suddenly uh, you come on these palm groves, and it's because this, this fault is lifting the water up near the surface to where it actually pools and... Uh, it's it's yeah, great place to hike, and we'll probably do that in some of the Indian Wells and a couple other spots down there too. And Walter, your own website? Um, the main one I'm using nowadays is binaryresearchinstitute.org, and that's where we put up all the latest research on the motion of the solar system, its cause and consequences. Right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. You're doing wonderful work in the world, and I really appreciate your time today and. Good luck with the conference. Hey, and likewise, Peter. What you're doing is amazing, so keep doing it, would you? Thanks so much. Yeah, I think I will. Okay. <laughs> I'm uh, heading off to uh, France uh, next week on this sacred site tour, which I'm really looking forward to. And I'll be doing my own show, actually, on September the 26th to tell all of the listeners uh, how the show, uh, how the show, how the, the sacred site journey has gone. So that will be an interesting one. Next week, my guest is Gary Evans, and we had a really, really neat uh, time chatting about the show, and it's going to be a good one. And he's going to be talking about how we can indeed open up to higher consciousness, and he's also going to be talking about how he is now using sound frequencies in some of the sacred sites around the world, and what an incredible shift in awareness and consciousness that combination of sound and geometry creates. So that will be another great show. And following him will be Hugh Newman the following week. And he will be at the CPAC conference. And he'll be talking about the megalithic structures and the ley line energies and how it all fits together. So we've got a great month coming up. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Have a wonderful week. It's Peter Tongue for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. you found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring please join host peter tongue for another edition of awakening to conscious creation next wednesday at 3 p.m eastern time noon pacific time on seventh wave network